Amen. You may be seated. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 20. Gospel of Luke and chapter 20. We'll be reading together verses 1 through 18. Hear now the word of God. Luke 20, beginning in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that he would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Thus far, reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we come to your word in expectation that you will bless us that you will give us a greater understanding of your truth, your truth that impacts our lives every day in this world. And we pray that you would use it tonight to strengthen us in our faith and in our commitment to you and our desire to live and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Benjamin Franklin is noted for a number of things, a number of accomplishments, and a number of wise sayings. 
One of them was, nothing can be said to be certain in this world but death and taxes. Well, you might not like that statement, but there's nothing you can do to prevent the first from happening, and there's very little that you can do to prevent the second from taking place. But I believe there's something else that we need to think about that needs to be added to that list, and that is the certainty of authority. Now, that doesn't have a a nice rhyme to it or quip-sounding idea, but the fact is this. Every single one of us who are alive in this world will be subject and under the authority of someone else. You may be an employee. You are under the authority of your employer. You may be a child. You are under the authority of a parent. You may be a student. You are under the authority of a teacher. You may be a soldier. You are under the authority of your commanding officer. If you are a taxpayer, you are under the authority of the rules set by the IRS. If you are a citizen of the United States, you are under the authority of our government. But even if, and I know you don't, but even if you lived on a deserted island and you answered to no other human being, you would still be under the authority of Jesus Christ. He is the king of heaven and of earth. He is the one to whom, as Paul says in Philippians 2, every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. You might not like it, but you are under his authority. Our text this evening approaches this reality of the authority of God from three different angles. First, from those that seek to ignore that authority. Secondly, from those who blatantly reject that authority. And lastly, those who gladly willingly embrace and accept that authority. And we're going to look at these under the three ideas here. There's a question, there's a parable, and there's a metaphor for us to consider. So first of all, let's look at this question. Now verses 1 through 8, as we, we read this passage of Scripture in Luke 20, Verses 1 through 8 describe the situation that developed as Christ is teaching in the temple. Perhaps, most likely, on Tuesday morning of his final week on earth. And Jesus is approached by three groups of men. There are the chief priests. There are the... uh, 
scribes, and then there are the elders. And these three groups of men made up what is referred to and called the Sanhedrin of Jewish teaching and society. Now, if you're not familiar with the Sanhedrin, this was the local political and religious body of the Jews all rolled into one. This would have been the equivalent of our city council, our police department, and our municipal court, all tied together. The priests were responsible for caring for the temple functions. So all the sacrifices, all the ordinances, everything that took place in the temple, they were responsible for. The scribes were the teachers of the law. So when it came to religious injunctions and religious teaching, it was the scribes, they were the Pharisees that were the teachers of the land. And then the elders. The elders were the head of each tribe or clan. They were the rulers of Jewish social life. So they would have been like the court. They, they were the ones who decided points of conflict among the people. They were the ones who decided what punishment should be, be used for what crimes that had been done. And so it's, it's understandable that these, this group of men are concerned When this man arrives in Jerusalem and the people are shouting, Hail to the king! Hail to the king of the Jews! They are very concerned about them believing he was a king. Remember, he has just driven people out of the temple for buying and selling, not using the temple what it was supposed to be used for. And then he was filling Jerusalem with his doctrine, with his teaching about everything from the necessity of being born again, as he talked to Nicodemus himself, or the the keeping of ceremonial laws, or not keeping them, even paying taxes, which we're going to see in the very next section, Lord willing, next Sunday evening. So Jesus is teaching the people, and they are very concerned about what he's teaching them. And so these men come to Jesus, and they say, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you that authority? Now, we can can feel the the tension in the very question. We understand that what these men are, are saying is, who gave you this authority? Basically, they're saying, who do you think you are? You're not a priest. You're not of the tribe of Levi. You're not a scribe. You're not one of the teachers of the law. And you're not one of the elders. Who do you think you are? Parading the streets, teaching in our temple, these things. In other words, brethren, these these men are trying to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people. 
They're trying to say this man is just a renegade Jew. Don't listen to him. And so in asking their questions about authority, they're trying to discredit Jesus before the people. Well, then Jesus responds in verse 3. And he says, I also will ask you one thing. The baptism of John. Was it from heaven? Or was it from men? Now, you, you can almost see these men as they are a bit flustered. They're, they're thinking about this and they're, they're realizing this, this is a conundrum. How are we going to deal with this? But this is not just an evasive maneuver on the part of Jesus. What Jesus is doing is capturing the attention of the people. Because what happens when he asks that question and the people see the leaders, oh, we're not real sure how to answer this. They're looking at the rulers. And the rulers know this is not going to end pretty. Because if, if we say from heaven, they're all going to want to know, well, if it's from heaven, if what John said about Jesus was from God, that behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that I am not worthy to undo his shoelace because he is greater than I am, that he was before me, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you respond obediently and follow after Christ, as John told his disciples to do? And they said, well, if we say he's from men, and therefore we don't listen to him, the people are convinced he's a prophet, and they're going to kill us. They're going to stone us. So they take the path of least resistance and they say, we don't know. What they're trying to do is to simply ignore the authority of Jesus, just to dismiss it. You know, many people in our own day do much the same thing. They think, They can just ignore what Jesus claimed to be and do. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, that Jesus stuff is fine for you, but that's not not, not for me. They're trying to just ignore it. Just, okay, I want to just, Jesus, leave me alone. God, leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone. And so they think, if I just ignore it, everything will be fine. Some may profess to know and to accept the authority of Jesus. They want to accept him as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord of their life, guiding, directing, controlling every aspect of their daily lives. So there are those as these men who seek to ignore the authority of Jesus and just claim, well, we, we, we can't answer that. We can't say for certain 
where he was from. But the second thing we see is there are people who reject the authority of Jesus. And that is this parable that Jesus gives about his authority. These are people who, while they might say they would like to just ignore the issue, what they're really saying is we reject it. Like those in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, they say, let us break their bonds from us. Let us cast their cords away. They refuse to bow to the authority of God and of his king whom he has appointed. Now this rebellion and rejection of the authority of Jesus is illustrated in the parable of the vine dresser. This is not a difficult parable for us to understand. The points are pretty clearly laid out in simple terms. The owner of the vineyard is simply God. The vine dressers are the Jews. The servants are the prophets. The son is obviously Christ. And the others are the Gentiles. What I want you to see in this parable is that every single one of these details points in the same direction. It points to the authority of God and how wicked men and unbelieving men reject that authority. Now, the picture of God as the master of the vineyard is is used in other places. If you want to turn back to Psalm 80. In Psalm 80, we have the psalmist speaking here, a psalm of Asaph, in verses 14 and 15. He uses this very imagery. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. Here, the psalmist is praying for the covenant people of God. They are his vineyard. And and while it might not be exactly the same, brothers and sisters, this is a good prayer for us to pray every day. When we think about the church, We don't have the nation of of God's covenant people as they did in the Old Testament. But we have the church that he has chosen, that he has redeemed, that he has blessed and called to be his covenant people. And that very language of, of the covenant people of God used so many times in the Old Testament is used in the New Testament of the church. We need to pray. We need to pray for this congregation. Lord, look down at this vine, at the vineyard your right hand has planted, and bless it and bring forth fruit from it. So the psalmist cries for God's blessing upon his vineyard. Now, there are many lessons that we could draw from this particular parable, but one prominent element is this. 
And it's as true today as it was when Jesus told them this in the temple. And that is God, as the owner of the vineyard, expects fruit to rise from it. He's looking for fruit. In the old times, he sent his servants, the prophets, again and again. In the parable, he sends the servants again and again and again, looking to receive the fruit of it. But understand, this is not just about the first century Jewish community. This is about us today. And that God is still looking for fruit. He still sends his servants and pastors and teachers and elders. And they're looking for the fruit from the vineyard. Now, my friends, what kind of fruit are you bringing forth for the glory of God? I think we'll come back to this in just a moment. But God is looking for fruit. In this case, what does God think when the vine dressers ignore his authority and when they reject his servants? How many times did the Jewish people deal harshly with the prophets and the servants of the Lord? They refused to listen to Moses. For 40 years, they refused to listen. Every single time you turned around, they were rebelling against Moses' authority. And do you remember what happens when Samuel tells the people not to pursue a king? And what does God say? When Samuel goes before him and God says, Samuel, they have not rejected you. They've rejected me. That rejection of God's authority was a rejection of God himself. And then the owner of the vineyard sends his son. And they don't just despise them or treat him rudely. They kill him. Now, why would they do that? This has led some commentators to to try and and figure out what what is actually taking place here. And it's a bit of conjecture, but it kind of makes sense. And they say, notice that they don't say, here is the son, let us kill him. But they say, here is the heir. And it's believed that These men represent those who think the owner of the vineyard has died. And this is the heir of the vineyard. If they kill him, then the vineyard will belong to them. Now, as I said, could be, but it is an interesting thought nonetheless. But realize that these people rejected the prophets, then they murdered the Son of God. And here's the staggering part. They did so all the while thinking they were part of the kingdom. 
that the kingdom was going to be theirs. You realize that some people will ignore the authority of Christ. Some people will even reject the authority of Christ and all the while thinking they are part of God's church. They are part of God's kingdom. And it's going to come to them and they are going to be a part of it. Well, Jesus presents a pretty different situation. What does the owner do? What does the owner of the vineyard do when they kill his son? Jesus says in verses 15 and 16 that he will come and he will destroy them and he will give the vineyard to other people. And then Jesus quotes Psalm 118 and verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I think the point of this parable comes down to this. If you ignore the authority of Christ, and if you reject the authority of Christ over your life, there will be severe consequences. There will be judgment from God. The stone that was rejected by men has now become the chief cornerstone. And he is now the judge of all the earth. So it leaves us with this question. What then must we do? How do we respond? We have this question that reflects those seeking to ignore Christ's authority. We have this parable that clearly demonstrates those who reject his authority. And what must we do? How do we respond tonight? Well, very interestingly, in the very final verse of our passage, or the verse 18, Jesus uses a metaphor that speaks of his authority. Now, most of us know what a metaphor is. Jesus uses them frequently in his teaching. I am a good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheepfold. It is a comparison to what Jesus is and and an illustration that we all understand and can identify with. Here, Jesus speaks of himself as a stone. Interesting comparison, is it not? I am the stone that was rejected, but now have been made the cornerstone the very foundation stone, the headstone, the most significant stone in the entire building, the building of the church. But then we have him adding somewhat unusual words. When he said, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But on whomever this 
stone falls, it will grind him to powder. My friends, this is the pinnacle. This is what this whole section is dealing with. This is what it's dealing about. And the question is this, how will you respond to the authority of Jesus? And your answer is of eternal consequence. Jesus is the stone who's been made the head of the corner. And he says, whoever falls on this stone. In other words, do you come willingly? Do you come freely and submit yourself to his authority? If you come to this stone, it will break you. It will break your pride. It will break your self-centeredness. It will break the grip of this world upon your affections. It will break your appetite for sin. Like the book that we gave away earlier, Do I Hate Sin? If you do, it's because Christ has worked in you and you have been broken by coming to this stone. It will break you. It will break your stubborn wills. And my friends, this applies to us every bit as much as it did to the Jews and Gentiles in the first century. When you come and fall upon this stone and you're broken, Christ begins to work. He begins to change you. He begins to mold you. He shows mercy for your sins. He gives grace and strength for your Christian life. He blesses you in all manner of blessing. He provides and protects and uses you for his kingdom. But those who ignore him and those who reject him, to them he will come. And he will come with irresistible power and judgment and force. If you refuse his authority, this stone will fall upon you and it will crush you. Literally, this word means to break in pieces. Job uses the same word in in Job 27, I think it's 21 or 22, and he talks about the east wind blowing the wicked away, like like blowing the, the dust off of the scales. And Daniel uses the same word when he, when he talks to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar sees the stone that was uncut by human hands, that broke in pieces all the other kingdoms and all the other rulers. And that is what Jesus is driving at here. If he falls upon you because you've refused and rejected and ignored him, he will come in forceful judgment and break you in pieces. This entire passage of scripture 
is riveting our attention upon the authority of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And either you will welcome that authority and receive it and accept it and believe on him and say, Lord, here I am, your servant, use me, work in me, do what you have promised to do in me for your glory. Or you will resist him and you will reject him. One will lead to blessing, the other will lead to destruction. My friends, these are solemn words from one who is meek and lowly and gentle and cause us to come to him. But he is also the king, the God Almighty, and he cannot be ignored. And he cannot be rejected. Bow to him. Trust him. Yield your life to him right now if you haven't already. And trust him to work in you for his glory. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that though these words may seem hard, yet they are saving words, calling us to bow the knee, to confess that Jesus is Lord of all. And we pray that you would give us grace, each one, to bow and welcome his authority over every aspect of our lives. For his praise and honor, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.